Hey, it's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to this podcast and also to ask you to rate, subscribe, and comment anywhere you hear this podcast because it really helps me out. Just let me know on what it is that you guys like to listen to or what you think I should skip over. You can also reach me through my social medias. I am everywhere as Curvy Geeky Fangirl. With the exception of Twitter, of course, Twitter has limitations. So take out that A and take out that I on Fangirl, but you'll still reach me that way. You can also hit me up at my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. All right, it's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I'm here again with another episode of the Curvy Geeky Fangirl podcast, aka the CGF Recaps. Basically, I use this podcast to talk about everything I want to talk about that is geek-related because I love the geek. I do. I love it so, so much. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. It's under all of the same names. Twitter does get interesting, but if you do a search for Curvy Geeky Fangirl, I pop the heck up right there. Boom. (coughs) Also, you can find this particular podcast almost everywhere now guys i'm in all kinds of podcast directories check it out the biggies being the anchor app apple itunes podcast i think it's google podcast now google podcast and then there was google play i don't know if they're still doing podcasts on that but also that one and spotify spotify is the biggest one for me i can't i feel i feel kind of elite i'm on spotify i mean anybody can be on spotify but whatever I'm on Spotify, so excited. All of that, all of that, Stitcher, a bunch of other places. Uh, like I said, I do a weekly podcasting, podcasting, weekly podcast that recaps a lot of the TV and film I've caught throughout the week. Sometimes that includes books I've read, if I can squeeze it in there. All geek related, this week I'm going to be talking about Cloak & Dagger's finale. I'm gonna be jumping into My Hero Academia. I'm also gonna be jumping into another anime called Black Clover. A little heavier. I'm also gonna to touch on claws because I love it. I love it so much, and because then yeah, because I love it. And I'm just gonna to touch talk about it anyway. So all of that, I'm gonna be jumping into all of those shows. And okay, and it's gonna get interesting from now on. So we are in the gray area now, where a lot of the summer shows are ending or ended, and the fall season is about to kickstart. But for like a couple weeks in August, there's like nothing new. There's nothing new happening. So I was thinking of other things I could talk about because I watch a lot of anime. So I was thinking of doing like an anime-centric one. I also watch, watch a lot of kid dramas, Asian dramas in general, Taiwanese idol dramas, Chinese idol dramas, Japanese dramas. I watch a lot of those. So I'm, that's probably what I'm going to do in the gray area just to give you that heads up. Also just thinking out loud. So Okay, yeah. So all of that, all of that's going to be happening. As always, this is a spoiler-filled show. I'm going to try my best to kind of break it up into a non-spoilery effort and then get into the spoilers because I know not everybody's fan of spoilers. I love spoilers. I don't care. I, I ain't scared of no spoilers, but I wanted to give you guys that heads up. So spoilers will be happening at some point. I will do my best to give you the warning ahead of time before I just jump into spoilers. 
So there we go. That's what we're going to do moving forward. So I will be talking about these shows. I'm going to start with Claws right after this. Hey there, listeners. So this is Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I thought I'd take a moment to let you guys know about that other group I'm constantly talking about and working with, and that is Fan Bros. For all nerds, Fan Bros itself, check out fanbros.com. I actually am a contributor for that website. I post up fandom fashions every now and again, but you should also check out everything else that they've got going on there. They've got wonderful articles covering all things geek, and of course they have their own podcasts and other sister podcasts underneath them that also cover all things geek. They do talk about it from an urban perspective, which to me just enriches the experience overall. So if you guys get the chance, definitely check them out. Okay, so jumping into Claws, I'm going to do a little catch-up, non-spoilery catch-up for Claws. This latest season, the second season of Claws, has not disappointed. They introduced a bunch of new faces. They gave us a lot of romantic antics that have been happening with the crew of Claws. Some of it have been highs. A lot of them have been lows recently. Uh, We got a lot of reveals, a lot of betrayals. I mean, we had all that in the first season, but it feels like it's the consequences to these latest betrayals are even heavier with the second season because now we know these characters and we know what they've gone through and what they've survived. And what they're being put through now is not, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. I also love that it is ghetto as hell. This show, this show is so full, so ghetto. And I love it so much. I love that they have it rooted in Florida. The colors are amazing. The outfits, the outfits are giving me life. All of it. All of it is fantastic. I love it so much. Niecy Nash is killing it as Desna right now. She's doing an incredible job. I'm so happy that she is the lead of this series. It's, it's just wonderful across the board. I cannot wait. The finale is happening tonight as I'm recording this. I'm recording this on a Sunday. So the finale is happening tonight. I am hoping we're going to get at least decent endings for everybody that we care about. We probably aren't. And they're going to leave us on a heck of a cliffhanger probably. But I'm hoping against hope, fingers crossed, that we're going to get some type of closure, at least for the people we care about. And if nothing too, too crazy is going to be jumping off for them. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. That's the end of the non-spoilery review. So if you haven't seen any of the episodes or the show I'm talking about, please pause it here. Go and catch up. Come back so we can discuss and get into it because Claus is messy as hell. So spoilers are here. We're here. We're here at the spoilers. Last episode. Adorable. With the Jen Bryce adorableness was fantastic. I loved that they're now back as a, they're back as a team again. They're back together. It only took Bryce nearly dying for it to happen. We knew it had to be something along that line for him to like get over the hurt with everything that went down with Hank. Hank turned out to be crazy. I mean, we, I feel like they came out of nowhere with that. Like, they randomly, I'm going to say like an episode prior, set it up like, oh yeah, Hank might not be stable. We'll have him linger outside a hospital for a little bit. And then we're just going to go full hard, he crazy in the next episode. And that's what they did. So it was, I, I felt like it came out of nowhere. Like, the, the, he's not a very well-developed character. He just was a side piece that Jen had. He was the nice guy in the Jews for Jesus little country group that was there for her and treated her well. And apparently 
was doing a nice job of keeping her in bed. So outside of that, this whole like now we're a family unit and you are my wife type of situation, for me, it came out of nowhere. Did I enjoy its run? I, I guess. I mean, he was crazy for all of like five minutes, but I love that it gave us that scene. We got a scene where Bryce went to save Jen. So he was, <laughs> mind you, he's recovering from a gunshot wound. He rips his IV out of his arm, oh, which is just cringeworthy by itself. I hate needles. And makes his, hobbles his way back to the house. I don't even know how he got from the hospital to the house. They don't even show how all of that went down, but he shows up in the nick of time to help save Jen. Mind you, he is barely walking. He's got a cane. It's the kind of cane that's got the four legs on it, like the four small square legs to give you better balance. Oh, it's just, it was, all of it was a mess. He manages to get a good hit in though. He manages to swing that cane and manage, it makes contact with Hank and knocks him to the ground in time for Jen to then help to take over. And as soon as they get him to the ground and the cops come in to help finish everything else that's been going on, hearing Bryce be like, I saved you, I saved you. <laughs> and then she's like, you saved me, baby, you saved me. It was so cute. It was adorable and a mess. They're my favorite couple. I'm glad they're back on a better page. Hysterical mess. We also got the reveals. We got a lot of truth bombs. We got Dean telling Desna he's done. He's done dealing with her lies and the crazy decisions she's making. Like I couldn't fault Dean in what he was telling her. Like he wasn't, he wasn't wrong. He basically tells her like, you kept so much for me. You lied to me and you may, or you're making terrible decisions. You're making bad decision after bad decision when it comes to us. And basically telling her, you can't use me as the crutch anymore. You, you can't say that you're doing all of this because of me. I wanna take myself out the picture. I can take care of me. Hell, I can take care of me and Virginia. So that's what I'm gonna do. And he leaves and we get this amazing scene where Desna is dealing with the fact that her life is changing, to, changing at a ridiculous pace right now in front of her and her brother just rolling out. So it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful scene to see all of that change happen. Desna though is still undeterred from her revenge plan against Lata and Gregory. Fair though, I think that's fair because they had her going and then they were just gonna murder her. Like it was, wasn't good. So she's, she's figuring out that Gregory fully thinks the Russians were the people who broke into his crack den, his cocaine warehouse, wherever it was that he was keeping this stuff and we're trying to take his business. He, so she gets from Zlata that that's the impression Gregory's got right now. And she's kind of like, perfect. But then she does something that I'm not understanding and that is that she decides to team up with Zlata. So she is like, all right, we're gonna be a team Zlata basically comes clean because she's forced to because she knows Gregory is coming after her next. So she's like, all right, I'm gonna side with Desna and we'll figure out how to get this done. And Desna turns around and is like, yeah, that's what, yeah. All right, I'm gonna pretend like all this news that you're giving me, this confession you're giving me about setting me up is new to me. But uh, I'm ultimately gonna team up with you because I don't, what? I don't understand what the long game is here. But I'm hoping Desna figures it out because it very much seems like she's playing it by the seat of her pants. And I love that Anne also is trying to check her. She's like, word, you're gonna get right back in bed with this bitch after everything else that went down, how you nearly went to prison, like word. So 
The Anne thing also was interesting. I'm, I kind of like that we got a full circle. Like, we got our little side alone episode with Anne to really understand where she's coming from and how she felt about everything. And then the fallout. So Desna now knows that Anne's girlfriend is fully a federal agent and is trying to get the you know more information on their business, not necessarily Desna, but the Russians at the very least. And she has to break the news to Anne. She breaks the news to Anne. Anne doesn't want to believe it, but, and this is to the actress's fantastic ability. You see her, you see the doubt kind of grow on her of like, at first she's like steadfast, no. No, she's not a cop. And then you see the doubt kind of dawn on her. And then she confronts her girlfriend. And again, to more shock and awe, the girlfriend doesn't flinch. She's like, yeah, I am a cop. What do you want from me? And Anne's like, I can't be with somebody who's lying because you, you basically use me to get to Desna. And she's like, yeah, I did. I did all of that. And if you want to go, you can go. And it was, it was cold hearted, but it was also needed. And can stay with her. She couldn't. Not, not, not with everything that's been going down. Maybe in the far future, when everything settles, possibly. But right now, now nah, it's not. It's not a good. It's not good. Period. So poor Anne is heartbroken again. But now she knows everything that's happening. And I mean, it's kind of where we left everything. Oh, we got the hilarious scene with Uncle Daddy and and, and Rolla meeting up with their family. The Bone Thugs and Harmony uh, accompaniment that we got was fantastic. I loved it. I loved how it tied into everything and just how crazy this Dixie Mafia is. Like they're just so backward, so weird, but ridiculously functional. So yeah, so we saw all that. We got to see all of that happen. And the finale is coming on tonight. So I'm interested to see if she's going to ultimately, if Desna's ultimately going to get her revenge on Gregory, if that's going to work the way she wants it to work. I'm um, kind of interested in knowing what's going to happen with Virginia. I mean, Virginia works for Desna. She looks up to Desna as a sister. She's not going to leave her in the lurch, but she's also in love with Dean. And Dean is trying to separate himself from everything. So I'm interested to see how that's going to look. The previews show Polly finally facing her twin, her twin sister. I'm interested in the backstory of that, how that's going to work. Oh, that's right. Polly also knows that Dr. Ken is the snitch, is the one that's been wired this entire time and has been leaking all this information to the feds. That, that burnout was coming. It was coming. It was a matter of time before everybody figured it out. I was hoping Ken was going to let her know what was going on to explain himself, but he never did. And then she finds out through another party what's, what's going on. And of course it ended, everything ended. I liked Ken and Polly together. They were two crazy people that worked, but he was a snitch and she's right. Snitches are, are the worst and you can't have them in your life when they like that, so. But I am, but Ken is ride or die, so I'm interested to see if he's gonna come back and save them in some sort of way, because he loves Polly, like, ridiculously. And it's enough to not make him a coward when it comes to, when it comes to Polly. So I'm interested to see how that's going to work. And then I'm gonna be jumping into um, my next show here. For some reason it has disappeared off of my thing. There it goes, Cloak and Dagger, oh, Cloak and Dagger, okay really fast the cloak and dagger finale has also come out uh, man. Uh, yeah okay 
yeah, I'm gonna talk about it next so I can do a non-spoiler and then jump into spoilers. All right, Cloak and Dagger, non-spoiler. I'm just gonna give you feelings on the finale. Y'all know, if you've been listening, I have not been a fan of this TV series. I have not been a fan of this TV series. I am really surprised at how many people of my age bracket who are not the target demographic for this show love this show. There's a lot, there's a lot, a lot. A lot of people that I thought were gonna be on the same perspective as me when it came to this show, they're, it's not that many. It's not that many. For the most part, a lot of people that I'm listening to and talking to about this show love this show. Also though, these people have read the comics. They're very familiar with the characters. So I guess this is an attribute to the fact that whoever is, well, definitely the showrunner's decisions for the for this show are so closely ingrained with the comic. They did a really good job at that because I've got a lot of friends that love this show and I don't understand. For me, this show just ran too slow. It just ran too fucking slow. It just, it, it took forever to build this world. It took forever to develop these characters. I, after reading the, the interviews that a lot of like Variety and TV line have done with the showrunner, they explain that all of that slowness was purposeful. They really, I get, they said they really wanted to develop these characters as slow as they did to take their time with them because they said, they mentioned about how fast everything's gotta pick up the more and more they add to the story for these two. I don't know what that means or, or, or why that's necessarily a bad thing because the how we got it for the season was too, too fucking slow for me. It was too slow. It was like snoozeworthy slow. And I'm, I'm happy that other people were able to really enjoy this series. It's already got its second season. I just was not one of those people. I was not. I didn't start enjoying this until the, the end of it, till like episode seven. And it stopped at episode 10. And even then, it still wasn't that perfect for me. Like, I still have a lot of questions when it comes to this dang show. So, okay, so I'm going to talk about the good stuff first. Oh, we're getting into spoilers. Spoilers now. Spoilers are happening for the finale. Basically, my feeling on the finale was I finally got the action I wanted. They they tied up a lot of the loose ends. You're not left on a cliffhanger. That's for sure. We're at the end of this episode. That's pretty much it. That's all I got for you. And now spoilers. Spoilers are coming. Spoilers are happening. For me, having Tandy and Tyrone finally understand their powers was good, but little too late for me. It felt like it was way too late for them to get the handle on it that they that I wanted them to have earlier on in the series. We kind of got closure for Tyrone. He he managed to finally take that cop out that killed his brother. We also got to see him use a different ability for himself as cloak where he absorbed this dude into his negative void is it a negative void i'm gonna call it a negaverse if you guys listen if you guys know sailor moon that's a term from that show the americanized show i don't know if the, if the actual anime uses this term but uh the american version did the terrible 90s americanized version of it did and i liked it so that's what i'm gonna call it i'm gonna call it his negaverse he sucks this cop into his negaverse and it's 
real fast. And we only see it happen the one time. I thought he was going to suck these other terrors into it, but nope, it was just the cop. And then we moved on to the next thing. We also kind of got closure for Tandy. So Tandy and uh, whatever faces, the other girl, uh, who both of their fathers worked for Roxxon, which is the company that this head CEO is over, they corner him because they know that everything's about to go down. The terrors are starting to show up everywhere around town. And this power that they've been trying to tap into and drill for is about to explode and make all of New Orleans kablooey. So they go to face him and they're very much like, you need to answer us. And of course he's looking at these two little girls like, the fuck I don't, like I don't. <laughs> like, even though he knows Tandy is capable of doing a lot of stuff, he's still like, whatever little girl, I don't, I'm a, I'm a rich white man, what are you gonna do? And Tandy checks him. Now, okay, here's why I got confused. So Tandy decides to put him in a coma. She does her magic touch, she gets into his head and she's, for whatever reason, all it takes is for her to be like, do you wanna be a god? And he immediately is like, sure. This little girl has tried to kill him several times, but dream him is just like, whatever. Apparently she's gonna make me a god for no reason. She blames me for the death of her father, but of course she's going to share power with me because what? Why? Reasons. Anyway, so I guess they're trying to show like he's just so blindly in love with power. He don't care how it gets to him, I guess. It was just, I just had a lot of questions. She locks him in the same vault that her friend's dad was locked in, that they had to save him. And I had more questions as to A, how did she know, how did, how did she know that this was gonna work? B, how did she even get him there in the first place? Did she learn that she can create her own worlds in this and then that's how that can work i mean it was enough for the audience because you see the door and we as the audience know that this is how the other guy was kept in his coma but um just i had a lot of questions just like well sure okay so ultimately she leaves this dude in a coma i had to wonder how her friend felt because i mean on the outside looking in when she touches that guy they both just kind of freeze so it's her looking at him him looking at her for a long moment, a very long pregnant moment. And I'm sure her friend is looking at Tandy and looking back at this guy in an elevator and just being like, what the fuck is happening? And then when Tandy comes out of it and he don't, and she's just like, let's go. And she's just like, yeah, okay. I believe you and everything and leaves randomness. Anyway, so they sort of get an answer and they figure out where to, to turn off what, the pi See, I had a lot of questions. There's, there's a whole thing about how these terrors are about to be leaked into New Orleans and that's through these pipes that they've manufactured. I'm still not sure why they did that because they never figured out how to fully control the substance in the first place. I have a thousand questions. So we get all of that, uh, but they get their answer and they figure out how to close it off. And again, we as the audience see how it's tied to the previous episode where we had Tandy and Tyrone stuck in that doctor guy's head when the, uh, the, the, when the first rig exploded and how he had to turn off everything. So we see them using that knowledge towards the fin end of the finale. But before I get there, let us also talk about this ridiculous divine pairing situation. We had a whole thing that they've been trying to run the entire season about divine pairings, how New Orleans has always been ruled by two forces. Uh, one that's got to sacrifice himself in order, for, in order for the city to survive. 
I have more questions. One, why do we need pairings at all if someone's got to die? Why do we need two? Why do we need two? Why couldn't we just have one person who sacrifices themselves? Understandably, they're trying to show the duo because they're also trying to show how it's connected to Cloak and Dagger. Was this in the book? Was this in the comic book series, Divine Pairings? And they're just like another incarnation of it? Because they weren't in New Orleans in the comic books, at least from the research I've done. It was all in New York. So I'm not sure why we needed this lore. Also, I didn't understand what value it brought other than to touch on Voodoo, the voodoo culture. Other than just to bring that into the fray because we're talking about New Orleans, I didn't see why we needed to have this in here. You could see from a mile away, Tyrone and Tandy were not gonna die at all. They weren't gonna get separated either. We knew that. We knew that from the first episode. Why did we need it? We didn't need it. We didn't need it. They even gave us like the side story and we finally get explanations behind all the creepy dolls on the mantle and how they were all pairings, except they weren't really pairings. So I just, I didn't understand why we needed that. So that was happening. Again, with the black cheerleader, she comes in and I, she kind of tells them what they already know. Hey, you two need to work together to save the town. Okay, all right, and goodbye. Like, and then she's with Tyrone and Tyrone's trying to give him, her this like epic speech and they try to play up like, ooh, Tyrone could be the one that sacrifices himself. Show we know that no one is dying. We know that no one is going to die. What the fuck? Anyway, and again, I read in the interviews and he explains the touch on this, like they were trying to touch on the trope of how quickly change is happening, especially in the real world as it is right now. So you've got a lot of situations where people are saying the dynamic has always been this. And then we've got new young perspectives, I guess, that are coming in and saying it doesn't have to always be that way and changing it up. Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, all of that is changing the way we viewed a lot of things, which is true, but I felt like it was a reach and a half to say that this was also related to Tandy and Tyrone, breaking up the divine whatever, whatever fate. Like, uh, sure, all right, show, absolutely, uh, no. Um, what else? Yeah, uh, why is Tyrone staying in New Orleans? So he's wanted for murder, for murder. And the person that could clear his name, he's sucked into the negaverse and he's just gonna chill in that church in New Orleans. Why isn't he gonna go somewhere else? He can teleport, he can literally go anywhere so that he doesn't have to look over his shoulder every time. But he's not going to. He's gonna stay in New Orleans because why? Why show? Why? Anyway, so that, what else? We also got, nope, that was it. That was it. That's all we got. Boom. I did have a question as to what the deal was with Tandy stealing other people's hope. They like randomly showed us Tandy going on this binge of stealing other people's hopes. And then we were getting small tidbits of what happens when she does that. Like you see them, I don't wanna say bittering, but they're not as happy after she does that. We got like little glimpses of that. She did it to her friend and her friend like killed a bee and we knew how much she loved bees. And then she did it to her boyfriend and then he stole money from her. And then that was it. And then that was it. We don't see any other consequences happening to that. They made you think there were gonna be more consequences to happening to that. And then it never followed up on it. So 
Why did we need? Why did it? Why did we need that? This show. I'm not gonna watch the second season. I said I was gonna finish this first season, and I did. I gave it a good college try here. I am not watching that second season. No, 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 no. At least not live. At least not live. Uh, so in the interviews that I've read, it, uh, when they were talking with the showrunner, the showrunner, they asked the showrunner if it was going to pick up speed now that we've developed the world building that they've done and we've developed the characters the way that we have, will it be picking up the pace a little bit more? And he was like, no. <laughs> so <laughs> like, he knew how slow the beginning was for everybody. He, and he was like, that was on purpose. We wanted it to be that slow. And in all honesty, it's not going to pick up any faster in the second season at all. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm pass. Hard pass. You can miss me with all of this. I do not need to see this incredibly slow build between these two characters. There's no, I will just use this time to read more manga. I don't need it. I don't need it. And that's how I'm going to end it. That's how I'm going to end Black Cloak and Dagger. I'm happy it was what everybody wanted it to be who loves this show. It is not for me, and that's okay. You don't have to love everything Marvel puts out. Marvel doesn't put out the greatest things all the time. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is one of those for me. Iron Fist is one of those for me. And now Cloak and Dagger will be another one of those things that I don't need to see, which is hysterical because like Runaways, <laughs> so they're talking about making it exist in the same world as Runaways. Well, technically it does exist in the same world as Runaways. Runaways was okay. Like for me, I mean, it had its slow moments. It really did. But I feel like the action in Runaways just was a lot more than what we got with Cloak and Dagger. And I think that's because you have it coming from different fronts. You have it on the adult side. You have it on the kids side all around. I mean, you're still dealing with a lot of angstiness for angstiness sake in both of these shows. But I feel like Runaways for me moves at a faster speed than cloak and dagger does and if cloak and dagger is not moving any faster than this episode then pass um it did get interesting they introduced mayhem at the end and i only know it was mayhem because i've read all the recaps because i didn't know why she was moving like a ghost but apparently detective o'reilly becomes mayhem which is like an anti-hero-esque type person and she might be in the show so I mean, it, it looks cool, but if we're running at the same ridiculously slow pace that we got, that means we're getting a hell of a lot of backstory for O'Reilly before she does anything. Pass. Pass, pass, pass. So I'm going to be moving on into the next show, and that's going to be My Hero Academia after this. Hey there, listener. This is Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I thought I'd take a minute to let you know about another podcast that I do with a friend of mine called the People of Culture Podcast with Shay Cherie Show. So that podcast basically touches on anything culture through the perspective of two women of color. So we give our opinions on a lot of different things, and we discuss a lot of different topics that's not necessarily only revolved around geek culture. So if you were in the mood for listening to another podcast or to add another podcast to your list, you should definitely check us out. And that is the People of Culture Podcast. You can also find us on our website, thepocpodcast.com. All right, so My Hero Academia dropped a new episode this weekend, and they're still in the middle of their licensing arc. They're trying to get their provisional licensing. Uh, this is... No, they're still in the first the first level of this situation, which is where they're trying to hit the targets of other people. 
They have to effectively take out three people, one person, somebody. I think it's one. They have to effectively take out another target before they pass. Uh, and they're having a go of it right now. They're the UA kids. UA kids are always targeted because they're coming from the best school, uh, which makes them instantly hateable by everybody else, which I get, which makes sense. Again, I love this show with their real world building. So that makes sense. You've got a show that is known as being the best of, or the, not a show, a high school, that's being, that's known as being the best of the best when it comes to creating uh, professionals in this particular field, which is superheroes. And you get the most information because they're the, sh the university that is shown the most. So their games that apparently was fully televised, uh, the fact that these kids keep getting attacked, all of that you know, adds to their notoriety. And of course, other schools are trying to make a name for themselves, especially other kids who are trying to be professionals they're gonna feel some type of way about that. And apparently it is tradition to go hard on UA every year with this, these exams. So we have the kids still in the middle, in the midst of it. Um, they, this episode in particular picked up and showed us some fights that we did not get to see in the manga at all. So we got uh, Shoto's fight against this one school that looked like ninjas. I don't know if that's what was happening or not, but their faces are covered. They've got the feet. They're doing the whole silent thing. Um, it was nice. It was a nice little showdown to see. I liked being able to see how Shoto took care of business because we, in the book, we know he passed pretty early on in the exam itself. So we see him face off against this squad of kids from a different school. Effectively, it wasn't an easy defeat, but he effectively defeats them and he makes his way into the next, uh, he, I guess the next level. It's a little bit of a break until the next level. So he's chilling in a room and you see him see the wind guy again. And he recognizes the guy because he knows that this kid could have gotten into the school, but he doesn't remember everything that went on. But this kid is looking at him like, like he did him wrong. And in the manga, spoilers, we're going to the spoilers. Or no, I think we've already been, well, I'm sorry. I think we've been talking about spoilers the entire time. I'm sorry. But yeah, so in the manga, he, this kid has a history with Shoto, a big one, a big history. And it, we're getting like a slow reveal of it right now. So I'm interested to see where this is gonna go with Shoto. We also got to see how some of the other kids are doing. We got a Momo, Shoji, Sue, and Jiro facing off against this like all female squad from a different university. And we see the, the four of them teamed up trying to make their way through. And I'm not gonna lie, I enjoyed this one. Like it, it wasn't in the manga, but I really love that we had this character come up who was a strategist, kind of like their principal. She's really good at predicting what's going to happen with a, with a foe that they're facing. She is dealing with an arrogance though, and that ends up being her downfall. So she basically sets it up so that she can try and corner them and easily take them out. It doesn't go to plan because she doesn't go and take into account that they're gonna work together, like at all, <laughs> like at all. So that, I thought that was really cool. We got Momo being even more grounded in herself and strategizing and figuring out how to best help her friends and her teammates, taking a lot of inspiration from Midoriya. But figuring it out, ultimately they all figured it out and they all passed together and it was really sweet to see all that happened. I also got more of an explanation as to why Momo wears such a tiny, tiny outfit. It's a shonen series. 
a lot of the women in any shonen series are usually wearing teeny tiny skimpy outfits with huge boobs. Like that's just a thing that happens. It, they say it's a cultural thing. We know it's a guy thing. Shonen, is, shonen is, is geared towards a young male gaze at the peak of their hormones, as you would say. So it it's it can get real pervy sometimes. But at least in Momo's defense, I would say, her outfit shows purpose. She her quirk is creating things. She has a creation quirk, but they literally pop out of her skin. So she needs to be able to have an exposed area that's big enough for whatever it is that she's trying to create. It needs to be available. So her having a teeny tiny outfit does make sense. She needs to be have, she needs to have access to the skin to get all the stuff that she's trying to create. Like when she, at the end of this particular episode, when she creates this huge speaker, she basically has to rip apart the back of her top so that she has enough exposed skin to create the this whole mind you this is like grasping grasping at a straw type of explanation and justification for her teeny tiny outfit but it's there it is there and this is one of the things i love about my hero academia like there, there's a lot of things that are on purpose they serve a purpose and it's not just because so it's nice it's nice having all of that um, what else? We also got a catch up, like a quick catch up with Bakugo. He is teamed up with Kaminari and Kirishima. Of course, Kirishima, that's his bestie. They're teamed up and they're facing off a, uh, what is it called? Shiketsu school person who, <laughs> whose quirk is crazy powerful, but also really gross. He can, he turns them into like these little fleshy blobs. They're completely immobile once he gets to them. But he's also prone to long monologues. But we don't get to see the full fight. So that's gonna be saved for next week. And the same thing with Midoriya, who's paired up with Yuraka and Cyril right now. They are, they're overrun right now with all these other kids that are trying to come at them. They're still in the midst of like the, I wanna say the main field, like where all the rocks were before it was split up. They're still there and trying to strategize and get out. But we don't get to see them finish just yet either. And I'm hoping that we're going to see more of the kids. I would love to see what's going on with Koda or Sato or Ajiro. Like, I would love to see what's happening over there. Soji is my favorite, so I'm glad we got to see Shoji come through. But I would also love to see how everybody else is doing because it doesn't really cover it in the manga. We mostly get Bakugo and Midoriya and whoever they're teamed up with. We don't even really get Shoto at all. So here's hoping. Here's hoping we get to see more of that. And then I'm gonna jump into Black Clover and also I'm just gonna go straight into spoilers because yeah. So this is all anime. Black Clover is another shonen series. It's a series I didn't think I was gonna like at first. So it gives you very much a medieval feel. We're dealing with mages and magics and knights and the like. And it's actually really enjoyable. So I heard through the grapevine, that is social media, that some people can't really get into Black Clover. The voice acting on it is interesting there's a lot of screaming happening on this show so i get it and it, it tends to go all over the place the the beginning of the series runs really slow really slow the world building and the character development at the beginning of the series whoo you got it takes a while it takes a while before it gets interesting but once it gets interesting which isn't that long into the series i want to say the third or fourth episode 
it for me at least it picked the heck up the lore is intriguing the characters they're introducing are very they're not with the exception of the female characters a lot of them are, are really developed they're, it's really interesting to see how they're interacting with each other and what's going to happen the topics they touch on in the show they deal with xenophobia classism under this whole underdog situation like some stuff i didn't think they were going to touch on at all Mind you, these aren't like huge political points that they're getting into, but the fact that these are ingrained in the story in the first place is like, yo, what's happening? What is going on? But also really good. So right now, I'm it's it's an amazing show for me right now. I really like what they're doing so far. I love the characters. The characters are hilarious, and I'm a sucker for an underdog story, and that's exactly what we're getting right now with it. There's a kid in here who more than anything wants to be the leader of all. They have something called a wizard king uh, for the kingdom that he's in, which is called Clover. And he wants to be it. Mind you, he has no magic. And he's a rarity. Like like it is in My Hero Academia, where the, the main character we're following is somebody who was quirkless, so somebody who didn't have any superpowers, and then gets one. That's kind of what's happening in Black Clover, too. So this is a kid who has no magic, and then gets like an anti-magic, magic, if that makes sense. Follow me here, follow me here. So his <laughs> his whole strength is that he does not have magic. And the way it works when he gets into fighting and when he's trying out to be a knight in the first place is that his anti-magic works against all these magic users. He's, he manages to block them and or stop them or duplicate it and redirect it. So he be, he's slowly but surely becoming a very powerful mage who's not a mage if that makes sense just follow me on it it's a pretty good series and it's it's running really long right now i thought it was going to stop after i want to say episode 20 but we're like at an episode we're almost in episode 40 and it's still pumping out episodes so excited i can't wait to continue watching i wonder how far we're gonna get before it starts to break but it's really good it's really really good so back to those female characters though. So there's very few female characters. And again, it's a shonen series. So they're in teeny, 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 tiny outfits. They try to explain why these outfits are the way that they are. Like they've got the, the one of the female characters that we follow who is a former elitist. She's still technically elitist, but she got kicked out of her family for not being super perfect. Her outfits, are tiny but they're also like draped in a, like a long silhouette type of coat so she doesn't feel like it's you know inappropriate and then we have a witch on here or a female mage that's also on here who drinks and basically just wears her lingerie everywhere they make her body confident they try to like get around it by saying like she didn't see any point in hiding because she's very proud of her body but She's also not very developed. We don't know how she got there. We don't know what her backstory is. Hell, we don't even know really what her powers are right now. I'm hoping we get more information further down the line, but clearly this isn't a point that they care to explore at all right now. So that that's that's one of the negatives with this show, but it's also not uncommon. That's, that's a negative for me for the entirety of the shonen subgenre. But this is a shonen subgenre. Like I said, it's not catered to a female audience. It's catered to a male one. So, ooh, misogyny. So that's happening. There's that. 
Um, I'm looking into other shows. The Shonen series are the ones that really I really like. I try to get in some of the shoujo ones, which those are the ones that are for the for the women, for the girls. But I've noticed with those, it's, there's just a lot of feelings. Like there's there's a lot of emotions, and even in those, um, mind you, this is coming from a different culture. But when they have a female lead. She just falls back on her damn feelings and then she's like immobile and has to be saved. And it's a whole trope of them just getting into situations where they then have to be saved and they fall in love with their their captor slash savior person. And I'm like, okay. Like, Coming Time a Kiss is one of the ones I tried to watch. I got into a little bit only because I really liked how silly the girl is. The girl is hilarious. And she never follows any instructions. But she also is continuously a damsel in distress. She's constantly getting in way over her head and having to be saved. And then falling in love with her savior slash captor. So it's a work in process. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, otherwise, that's it. That's going to be it for the episode. So like I said, this is Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. We're getting into a slower episode. I'm going to try and find more anime that I've been catching up on or watching to discuss for the next episode. Uh, Maybe even get into more Asian dramas, like I said, because I watch those on a regular. And I'm about to have a lot of free time because a lot of the shows that I was watching for the summer are ending. They're going away. So... I'm going to be checking into that. Uh, if you liked what you heard, if you want to comment and or subscribe to this show and any of the podcast directories that you listen to this on, please do so. You can hit me up at the Curvy Geeky Fangirl uh, website, curvygeekyfangirl.com, or my socials. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Those are the ones I'm on the most. I'm the most active on Twitter. You can also hit me up on my email, curvygeekyfangirl at gmail.com if you got any comments and or questions you want to discuss any of the shows that we've been talking about if you listen to this on anchor there's a way to leave a voice message so if you leave a voice message for me through the anchor app you might even show up in the next episode so all of that in mind i hope you guys have a great week and i will talk to you later bye